CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site on this summer Friday. The guys here getting ready behind me. While they're doing that, here's what's coming up on the show. Former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz says, if you like the coffee, you should love Starbucks cheap stock. We'll tell you how to play it. Plus, it's not the shoes that has Mike Coe so excited. It's an options trade that can make money if Nike is up, down, or nowhere at all into earnings. And here's your portfolio. And here's the market. And we've got one Dow stock that could catch you up to the rally. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins right now. Let me start with that Dow stock on a week that the Dow is down more than 2%. The chart master says he's got one name that could break out. So let's get right to him. Carter, what are you looking at? So I'm looking at Johnson & Johnson. Obviously a big name, top 10 name in the S&P. And a major laggard, as all will know, down 12% year to date, underperforming the Dow 30 and the market in general. And I think the underperformance is uh, coming to an end. So just for good optics, I've got a five-year chart. The colors are clean. And you can see the difference, this divergence, right, that we've seen just uh, over the past sort of six months with basically the market continuing higher and Johnson & Johnson. Um, so we've got a performance spread that I think has reached maybe a maximum. Just a few charts, and then we'll get to the absolute J&J &J chart. Here, now Lyric is clearly, look at that over the past year. Now, you've got the market here in J&J. &J. Now, what I want to point out is J&J is not actually trading with healthcare. Healthcare is way up here, if you were to look at it. Watch the next chart. J&J &J is trading almost lockstep with beaten down consumer staples. And we know consumer staples have started to come to life. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen to J&J. &J. All right, keep going. So, just to put this in context, we have a circumstance where over the past six months, Johnson Johnson down 12, S&P up three, for a spread of 1,500 basis points. That's only happened about 14 times in the history of the data, going back to the 1980s. And what uh, happens thereafter, what you see here, yes, when you have a spread of 15% or more, Johnson Johnson, three months, six months, nine months, was actually up. Um, the odds are both median and mean. And that's part of the statistical play here that I think is important, in addition to the optics. Another way to look at it, Johnson Johnson, in relation to its trend, whether you use a 200 or the 150, as I do, how far below is it from its 150-million average? Well, the next shows it. We are now essentially at the 10% below the 150-million average. That's the lowest in three years. How about if I do it since the 09 low? Ready? Same chart. We are sitting here. Look at this. This is exactly at prior lows where it got so bad that it's good, meaning we've got a lot of setup statistically, optically. Okay. Finally, the J&J &J chart itself. Two ways to draw the lines. I think you can draw this early stage, head and shoulders bottom. I think you can draw a trend line. We've just broken above it. So my hunch is this is all in play and we are going to do this. And then finally, market down on the week, healthcare sector down on the week. J&J &J up on the week. That's how it starts. Mike, how are you trading J&J? &J? You know, so this is a stock that is not very expensive. It's not a growth story, but it is trading at less than 15 times earnings. And, you know, we have a fairly stable revenue and earnings picture here. One thing that is a little bit more expensive than usual, although they're not expensive on an outright basis, are options, actually. So the implied volatility <laughs> of three-month options in Johnson & Johnson right now 
are a little bit over 15%. That's low compared to almost any other stock, but this one is so stable that that's actually expensive. We do have earnings coming up in July on the 17th. I think the way to play this is with a call spread. Specifically, I was looking out to September, the 125 135 call spreads, you could spend $3.15 on the 125 calls, sell the 135s against it for 55 cents. Net net, you're spending $2.60, just a little bit over that quarter of the distance between the strikes that I usually look to. I'm trying to give myself a little bit of time for this to play out, obviously, and to capture that earnings event. One of the other things is that in low volatility stocks, when you're using options, Give yourself some time because what you're really trying to play for is a change in the trend and then giving yourself enough time for that trend to play out. I know that you usually look for somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 90 days. That's what I'm looking for here. And you know this stock also is paying almost 3% dividend yield. That should obviously create some level of support and you're risking just a little over 2% of the stock price. Yeah, so I mean obviously Carter's um Technical work is pretty compelling when you look at it on multiple different inputs. Um, on a fundamental basis, Mike has basically identified a catalyst, and he's basically given himself enough time. I just put the whole thing together. Mike just said that he is risking the quarter of this $10 wide call spread um, to make this bet over the next couple months here. And what's really interesting about risking 260 with the stock right here at 122 half is to my eye and to your eye is like 120 is a really important breakdown level. And so basically he is setting a stop at 120 um, for this trade to work out over the next couple months. And the thing is, if it starts to move up in Carter's direction, Mike could probably roll that call spread up because there's a stock that's down, what, 17, 18% from those all-time highs just made this past January. How much of a move are we really looking for? Maybe 7 to 10%, that something kind of in that thing, neighborhood, which would right? throw you back towards your declining 150 moving average. Right. There's also this. Let's just say the market's headed in real trouble. J&J will probably offer you protection. There is an element to that. And if the market's just going to keep going, there is the prospect that catch-up money finds this stock as it's found energy, as it's found beaten-up consumer names, as it's now finding REITs outperforming, staples outperforming. What does XLV look like overall, though? Sort of dull. Okay, so this is a real standout in comparison. Well, stand up because it's so bad. Right, so bad it's good, is what you like to say. And I'm not just doing it when it's digging, digging down. I'm waiting for a little bit of, the, let, let some go. Remember, it started to outperform this week. Let it start and then go. Mm -hmm. Last word, Mike. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those situations. Obviously, the market did look pretty wooly. I am kind of comforted by the fact that it's a very low beta stock if you're going to make a bullish bet. The fact that it held up well relatively. And also, the valuations should, in theory, create some form of a floor in terms of any further declines here. All right, well, let's move on to another stock in the dumps. Starbucks hovering at multi-year lows, but shares did catch a break today after Chairman Howard Schultz sent a rather unusual email to CNBC's Jim Cramer commenting on the company's stock. And then I thought this was probably the most telling paragraph. You write, the stock, which in almost 40 years, I have rarely commented on, is cheap and undervalued. Kevin with Roz and our leadership team will lead us to the promised land. We have built a great enduring company, and as my mother was so fond of saying, this too shall pass. Despite the move today, the stock posted its worst week in two years after announcing store closures, uh, taking down guidance, also warning on China. Now, before we get to the trade here, what do we make of former CEO's email to Jim Cramer? I mean, obviously, he is talking his book, so to speak. I mean, he probably owns a lot of shares. 
But what do you think? Do well, you think listen, that it's undervalued? I, think that, um, I thought that David Faber and Jim Cramer really had their way with Kevin Johnson the other day on that call, and I don't think it really helped investor sentiment. So I like the fact that Schultz, who just left as chairman, right. and he left as CEO more than a year ago, um, he's got his heir apparent's back. Um, you know, listen, this stock has really been an underperformer for the last few years here. It's been range-bound. I think they've been very clear about articulating where their future growth is going to come, and that is obviously in China. And so the news um, this week is that they are accelerating the closure of some underperforming stores here, that global same-store comps were much um, below um, what expectations were, just about 1%, and that here's a company that's been missing their, um, their consensus estimates three out of the last four quarters, so they need to start seeing some of these tech investments starting to pay off. So I think uh, the ex-CEO and founder Schultz says that this is all likely to happen in, you know, in the foreseeable right. future, so take it easy on our stock a little bit. This may take some time. I just want to have two quick charts here. We have a one-year chart. Um, this is going to help inform the trade. The stock really broke down in the mid-50s here, and I think that's a really important level to target as we think about this trade going forward. And then a five-year chart, um, there's obviously some pretty good support in the low 50s. So if you want to play for a bounce, you like what Schultz had to say. You think that stock probably needs to digest a little bit over the course of the summer. They pre-announced the same store sales. They're going to have earnings in late July. They're going to give some guidance. Hopefully it's not as bad as what we just saw here. I think you may want to use a call calendar. And what we're doing with a call calendar is you're selling an out-of-the-money, short-dated call to help finance the purchase of a longer-dated, out-of-the-money call. So today when the stock was trading at 51 and a quarter, you could buy the August-October 55 call spread paying 60 cents for that. You're going to sell one of the, uh, excuse me, the August 55 calls at 60 cents. You're going to buy one of the October 55 calls for $1.10. That costs you 50 cents. This is what you want to have happen over the next five, six weeks into August uh, expiration. You want this stock to move up close to that 55 strike. The call that you sold in August hopefully expires worthless. You've helped finance that lot longer dated October one. You are only risking that 50 cents in the trade. And really what you wanted to do is go back to that breakdown level and then you set up owning like this October call, playing for catalysts that may materialize into the fall. Uh, I, li I like this trade. I mean, one of the things that the recent price action suggests to me is that there is some real money that's selling this stock. I mean, that's pretty clear. But there is something else that's also clear. Maybe it isn't the growth stock it once was, but this thing is still growing the top line at about 7%. It's trading at less than 20 times earnings. That's going to create some bit of a floor. The moves that they're talking about making are the moves that you would hope any business would make that was having underperforming stores. What do you do? You close them, of course. When I hear what's going on with Starbucks in China, the news seems overwhelmingly positive. Some of their biggest stores, I heard someone tell me that one of their biggest stores in China has 400 employees. I mean, and they're just scratching the surface of what's possible. So from my perspective, this actually is taking advantage of the fact that there's obviously some weight on the stock at this time. But I, I do think that it's a reasonable value here. So just think about what Dan started by saying. I think it'll take some time. Mm -hmm. And then Mike just said there's some weight on the stock. And that's the key point. After having a setback like that, while it can be the low, it takes time to establish the low. So there's no rush from the point of view of just buying the equity. Say, I got to get in there. It's cheap. Usually stocks drop and gap for a reason. And then you've got to put on a structure like this to make it work because it's not just out of the woods, it just fell on its face. Yeah, and, and the, the key word there is structure. I mean, at the end of the day, I would not be buying the 55 calls out in October that are $3.5 out of the money. Um, to me, that's just a scenario that if you're playing for this thing to kind of digest, digest, and then ultimately maybe break out in the fall, this is the, that would be a horrible way to do it. So this call calendar really helps mitigate some of the decay that you would have in that out-of-the-money call between now and August expiration.
for everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com, while you're there. Sign up for our newsletter. More than 100,000 of you already have, so don't be the only one missing out. Here's what's coming up next. Mike Coe has a slam dunk trade on Nike that can make money if shares go up, down, or nowhere at all. He'll break it down. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. Think hot trades and you might think tech, but consumer discretionary is actually the best performing sector of 2018. And the group could be set for a bigger move next week when a key company reports. Check out Nike sitting near all-time highs ahead of its earnings on Thursday. The options market is implying a 5% move in either direction for the stock. So how should you play it? Mike's over at the Plasma with his call to action. Mike. Yeah, so uh, I'm taking a look at Nike, and obviously it's had a great run here. One of the things that has happened as a result of that is that we're getting pretty close to relative high valuations when you take a look at the stock on a historical basis. The other thing is, of course, because we have earnings coming up, we have elevated options premiums, implying about a 5% move, which is the average move. But we're going to talk about one of the things, and that is that actually, more often than not, the stock moves 4% or less, and then a few times it moves a lot. In the last few years, we've had moves of more than 7%, more than 8%, and one that was actually even more than 10%. So if we're going to try to fade the stock or bet on something that's going to be a fairly neutral play, one of the things we need to do is make sure we're not taking a huge risk in case it does have a sharp move. As you just pointed out, the stock has had quite a run here. It's obviously one of the better performers that we've seen in recent weeks. So the structure I'm taking a look at is selling the July 75, 76 call spread. I could collect $1.65 for selling the 75 calls, pay $1.25 to cover that upside. Notice that we're collecting 40 cents on a $1 wide spread, so about 40% of the distance between the strikes. Obviously, the stock is going to need to get above 75.40 for us to lose money at expiration to the upside. And like I said, a modest move, even if it just trades sideways, this trade should probably work out pretty well. It's only the sharp move that we're really concerned about. And what are the probabilities that these things are going to happen? Well, that it actually ends up below 60, about 60%. And the chances that it gets above that higher strike, it's going to be, you know, Less than, uh, less than 40%, actually, only 33% that it gets to that higher strike. So this is a trade that has a better than not chance of being profitable. And you know we get to collect some premium, collect some of that elevated premium, and maybe fade a stock that's had a pretty good run that might come to an end over the course of the next week or so. What do you think of Mike's trade, Dan? So I like the trade idea if you think that this stock has run ahead of earnings and it's likely to just kind of whatever happens, it's like the way I would think about it is if they disappoint, it's going to easily come back to about 70, which was that breakout level. Um, but if it's just kind of like an okay beat and a mild raise, you may have a stock that's flattish and well underperformed that 5% move to the upside. So Mike's trade structure has a very high probability of success in that scenario. So I like it, and I like the fact that he's defining his risk and he's selling premium into an event. I mean, in the sense that it's a hot space. We know Nike's on its own, of course, but if you look at even sort of lower quality names, so to speak, like Crocs up 48%, Deckers up 42 Steve Madden, big moves in footwear across the board. Nike's its own asset, and the question is, having moved from 50 to 75 from that October low, is it a little hot? Does it, uh, does it rest or does it pop yet again on its number? My hunch from the charting point of view is that it is a little hot, and it's likely to basically consolidate back and fill, which doesn't necessarily make it a buy or a sell. Sometimes stocks are fairly priced. It kind of belongs right here. 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my point and why I'm playing it this way rather than actually putting on a premium outlay, which would require something to happen. This is a trade that makes money if nothing happens or if the stock trades lower. So of the three things that could happen, higher kind of stays right here or goes lower, two out of three of those are going to be good things for this trade. And, of course, if it does rally, you know, you think about it, your risk is going to be 60 cents. So the most you can make is 40 cents, most you're going to lose is 60 but there's actually a decent chance that even if it did rally through, you'd have a chance to cover it for something less than that maximum 60 cent risk unless it really moved sharply. Carter called Nike its own asset. Do you think it's idiosyncratic or do you think that there could be read through? I think it is in a way. And, and it's not yeah. too different than Starbucks. You know, when this stock was at 50 last year, we were looking at Starbucks around 50 and we we're kind of saying the same thing in the quick serve or the coffee space or whatever. And so these things kind of have their head of steam on their own. And Nike started moving before all of those other guys did, too. Right. And Nike was under pressure for several years because the Adidas had played such a yeah. big comeback. But at this point... Um, you know, maybe we have, Wimbledon, we have Wimbledon coming up, and Federer is going to drop his Nike contract and move, maybe move to Uniglo. I don't think that's so great for the stock, mm. not for tennis apparel anyway. Coming up, Chinese stocks just posted their worst week in three months, but that's great news for Dan, who bet against the group just last week. He will tell us what to do next. Plus, let's take a peek inside the Mad Money studio with our Kramer cam. Jim is talking to the CEO of Red Hat after the stock sunk a whopping 14% today and took the cloud stocks along with it. So be sure to catch that interview. That's top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more options action still ahead. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at some of our open trades. Last week, Dan said Chinese stocks were on the verge of a breakdown. You want to express a directional view in the FXI. You know, long premium trades, long uh, puts, put spreads, that sort of thing, is a pretty decent way to, uh, to do it. You could buy the August 47.43 put spread, paying $1.25 for that, buying one of the August 47 puts for $1.60, selling one of the August 43 puts um, at $0.35. Cents. Well, Dan was right. The FXI falling more than 6% since the time of the trade. So, Dan, what are you doing with FXI now? Well, here's the thing. It happened so quickly. Uh, one of the catalysts I was just identifying, I think this is going to go on all summer long here. And the fact that the FXI in particular broke that support level at 46, I think at some point very soon, closer to that short strike down near 43, and we were almost there yesterday, I think you want to take the profits on this thing. It's going to be volatile. And then on a bounce back towards that breakdown level, you want to put this thing back out and really have this short exposure with defined risk throughout the summer. Right. The lows were so well-defined that Dan cited. I mean, well-defined lows at a common level. And when you break, just as when you break out, you don't contain it, right? It breaks out further or it breaks down. So they're really just what Dan implied should be more trouble throughout the summer. All right. Also last week, uh, Carter and Mike said Micron's big rally was running out of steam. And you can see the following. Off the line, off the line, off the line, off the line. Now, here's the thing. We have the little bit of a prospect of having not made a new high. My hunch is that we've got a next trip down towards the line. I was looking at the July 57 and a half, 50 put spread. You could spend 360 to buy those 57 and a half, sell the 50s against it for 90 cents. Well, Micron is now down more than 3% since the time of the trade. So what now? Mike, what do you say? I'm going to have to ask Carter because I'm feeling like the stock, it, the news was good, yeah. but it didn't perform that right. well. So I'm kind of inclined to continue to lean short here. Right. So when you have bad news and you have bad price action, one can explain it. When you have good news and bad price action, that's particularly insidious. Uh, much more to come.
Much but more to come. In that case, we stay in it. Yeah, Dan, what do you <laughs> Yeah, I just want to you know reiterate. Last quarter, when this company reported a beat and raise, the stock sold off eight percent the next day and went down a total of twenty-five percent from its prior high that it just made. So I think you guys have almost the exact setup in a massive double top in the making. Do semis look weak overall? Well, that's just it, right? So the cyclicality within tech, tech being more growth, this is the cyclical is is stalling, is struggling. MU's been one of the best ones. All of a sudden, it puts up a good number and can't follow through. We know AMAT has rolled. Others are holding up like NVIDIA. But the problem is, the net is, it's not progressing. Up next, tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Optimus Action. Time to take your tweets. But tonight, we're doing something a little bit different. We're taking your video tweets. And who better to kick it off than a video from our number one fan, Alex. Hey, Melissa, Dan, Mike, and Carter. My name is Alex, and I'm from Los Angeles, California. I'm a big fan of Options Action and all of CNBC. With all the news about Disney possibly acquiring Fox assets, the stock looks ready to break out from the triangle pattern. How would I play this move through Options? Thanks. So what should he do from here, Mike? Okay, I'm not as committed to the stock. Looks like a little bit of a coin toss to me. 100 looks like the danger zone to the downside. So I would look at call spread risk reversals, maybe out to September. We've already had a catalyst, buy an at-the-money call, sell something out around the, like, 115 level and sell the 100 puts against it. Try to keep that premium down. Right, there is a minor triangle formation, but it's a minor formation, so the implications are minor. Uh, from my point of view, the stock is sort of a pair of twos, a non-hand. So you're telling Alex basically don't play for a breakout period. Uh, I'd rather not do it, but, you know, Alex, uh, maybe you're going to make a fortune on it. <laughs> All right. And by the way, if you want your video featured on the show, just tweet it to us at Options Action. All right. Time now for the final call. Last word from the Options Pits. Carter. Johnson Johnson, a case of so bad it's good. I want to get long. By call spreads and Johnson and Johnson. Yeah, I think it's important to reiterate that point about Micron. This was a market leader here. It's, it, it is rolling right here, and I think SMH is the one to stick with there. So I agree with Carter. All right. Looks like our time has expired. I'm Melissa Lee. For more Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com, or tweet us at Options Action. See you next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.